Welcome to the Empowered to Connect podcast, where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm J.D. Wilson, and today on the show, we've got occupational therapist Marty Smith. You may know her from her book, The Connected Therapist. Um, but Marty is a brilliant occupational therapist, and she joins us to talk about all kinds of different things, namely her career and how she got into this work, um, but also the work that she's done in collaboration with the Karen Purvis Institute of Child Development at TCU um, with TBRI practitioner training and lots of lots more. Um, Marty talks to us about a ton of stuff and you're going to love her. She has um, long been um, an admired person on our list at ETC and a friend of the program. And so we're just so grateful uh, to have her on today and, and thankful that she was willing to come on with us. And so without any further ado, here we go, our interview with Marty Smith. Well, we are here today with Marty Smith and Marty um, is an occupational therapist amongst Lots of other things we'll get into in just a second um, and fresh off a baby visit today. And so <laughs> she's super happy. Um, and so this is our, our scheme was to catch her right at this moment <laughs> um, to talk with her today. But um, Marty, thank you for being here. And um, why don't I, I think maybe the best place for us to start would just be to give kind of our, our listeners a framework for your work. And then we'll we'll talk about the book that you've written and, and some of your work that you're doing right now. But um, if you don't mind just giving people a brief background of kind of who you are and how you got started with this work. Yeah, for sure. So I am an occupational therapist and I started my career in the schools and worked a lot with uh, children in several different counties. I was in rural Indiana, so I had a, a pretty big caseload and a lot of the children on my caseload had the diagnosis of autism or they had difficulty with handwriting. And so if I was going to survive in that environment, I needed to figure those things out. And so then I took every sensory processing class I could find and really sunk into the sensory systems and, and also handwriting as well. So motor planning and sensory is, is where I had a lot of my background. And then fast forward 10 years and I ended up meeting this guy on eHarmony and he didn't want to live in Indiana. And so he, he moved me to Texas. And so this Midwest Hoosier found herself, you know, eating an avocado for the first time and um, lots of new things that Rob brought to my life. And one of them was Dr. Bruce Perry. And so he was actually working with Dr. Perry on the metric, the neurosequential model of therapeutics. And he was the computer guy behind the scenes. And so as Rob and, and, you know, Dr. Perry would talk about this thing that they were doing, because Rob was just doing it as a side job. It wasn't even his real job. And I remember very clearly a friend of mine, Julie Corey, who is a friend of yours, as well, I believe. Uh, she runs Fostering Hope here in Austin. She had some children who she had adopted and she was like, hey, will you look at my kids for me? You know, help me out with them from an OT perspective. Like, I, yeah. I, I like you as a person and we're looking to find a compassionate OT that understands, you know, trauma and adoption. And I was like, well, I don't really understand those things, <laughs> but I do understand the sensory system. And so started working with her and, and Bruce happened to call Rob that night. And so Rob came in and was talking to me and she's like, wait, you, like Bruce Perry's calling your house. <laughs> and I'm like, I know how annoying, right? It's after hours. And, and she's like, you don't even know who this is. And I was like, I don't know who this is. It's some guy who's talking to my husband. Um, so anyway, Julie was like, oh, you, you need to meet this guy. You too could do some really you know cool things. So then that kind of got Rob on board and Rob started talking to Dr. Perry. And, um, and eventually I found myself working with the Child Trauma Academy, which has now been uh, rebranded and, and changed 
launched into the neurosequential model of therapeutics. And so I've been with them since 2008 or 2009, you know, for quite some time. And as I met him, I was like, oh, now, now I'm seeing it. And what was interesting was he sent me all of his information and said, you know, here's some videos to watch if you want to know what I'm doing. And, da, da, da. and as I'm watching this video, I was just wrecked because I realized how many things I was doing with my own children. And we had a lot of birth trauma with my oldest. And I had no idea that that would affect her development. And so she had some sensory things coming out. And, and I remember just thinking, oh my gosh, I mean, she's, she's almost four. And, and this is brand new to like, we're upper middle-class white people. Like we didn't right. have trauma, you know, and, and to, to view right. it differently, then I was invested. Right. And so I wanted to change my own family and change my own ways. And then through Julie, uh, Dr. Purvis found out that I was working with Dr. Perry. And so she asked me then to join TBRI. And so I've been with the Institute, you know, gosh, since 2009, maybe 2010, they did a big thing where they had a bunch of people from Austin got together and they had judges and teachers and like all these different people. And that's where I met uh, Robin Goble. I know is a friend of yours as well. And so Robin and I think we're sitting at the same table and, and then Robin would start sitting me her clients and um and then I of course I was like I'll take them but I don't know what to do like <laughs> and Robin was like I got the psychology part I just need the sensory systems and I was like okay yeah. okay I'm good with that I'm really good with the sensory <laughs> system and uh and so yeah that and then I fell in love absolutely fell in love with these kids and started just reading more about trauma mm-hmm. and you know doing more trauma things and at the time OTs weren't really in the trauma world Actively, there were probably 10 of us, but we weren't even connected. I didn't even know who these people were. And uh, I've since found a lot of them. But um, so, yeah, and and then it's kind of exploded from there. We now have like trauma informed OT groups. There's we just did uh, the practitioner training in Memphis. I get to sometimes tag along with the sensory stuff because I did help develop a lot of the sensory stuff for TBRI. And while I was there, there were several OTs and I believe even some from from y'all's place were there yeah. too. And that was just, my heart is just leaping because I'm like, oh, OTs are coming to the table. And I'm so excited because we do have such a valuable, um, you know, like we're, we're a related service. And that means that right. we're, we're part of the family, you know, and, but I, I always say we're like the fun uncle and like, <laughs> like bring us to the table. We're really fun and, and we get it. And, and we're, uh, we're removed enough that we're not, all in your business like the aunt would be but you know we're, <laughs> we're that uncle that kind of sits back and looks at things and is like ah oh, well let me take them outside and swing them a little bit and then right you know, come back and everybody's in a good mood so yeah well and I, I think yeah so I, w- I would say one of the things I would love to for you to differentiate um one of my wife's best friends is an OT and I made I did not think it was a joke but I, I was meeting her for the first time I was like oh so do you work in like you know, getting people, getting folks jobs and like helping people with that kind of stuff. And she was like, no. And she, and she was so offended by that question. And I mean, we are great friends, but she was, she was like sighed and she was like, all right, what do we do? (laughs) So it's, it's never dawned on me. I think that there was a separation between Gen, like the, the general population of OTs who are mm-hmm. rolling through programs across the country and, and going out into the workforce and those who are trauma-informed. So would you kind of explain some of those differentiations? Like what, what were some of the things that you were learning when it came to trauma and OT that were eye-openers for you? 
Yeah. Well, and, and to even back up a little bit further, occupational therapy is a generalist kind of degree. It's a master's degree. Um, and now they're even wanting to make it a doctor's degree, but a doctorate degree. But one of my best friends, absolute best friends, we see each other all the time. She's a hand therapist. We have the exact same degree and she spends her, her day is spent in surgeries with orthopedic surgeons. And she literally goes in and starts rehabbing the hand as soon as it's stitched back together. And then she carries those patients on. And so she works in a hospital and her life is incredibly different than mine. And when I graduated from OT school, like I said, I went into the school system. So I was working a lot with adapting things, making sure that the wheelchairs could get into the bathrooms, making sure they had access to gym, making sure that they could access the lunchrooms, you know, like a lot of accessibility, a lot of organization, making sure that they had the right accommodations for their their schooling. Uh, And then on the weekends because I had a lot of flexibility being on a school schedule, I worked in a nursing home and I worked with people who had fallen and they had broken hip or they'd had a stroke or, you know, they, so being an OT, it's almost like a nursing degree. You could do anything with it. And it's, it's a wonderful degree for that very reason is you can be very specific. You know, Debbie is very specific with her, her job and, you know, she has protocols for everything. Uh, In the school system, there's very few protocols. (laughs) Like you're just, I just need to get this kid to be able to, you know, focus in the classroom. Um, And so for, for even a pediatric OT, some of them can work with uh, more of the physical realm of cerebral palsy, or they might work specifically with Down syndrome, or they might, you know, so we all kind of pigeonhole when we get out of school. And even though I worked in the sensory processing, and I did do a lot of OT with a lot of kids, and I worked at an outpatient clinic when I first moved to Austin, Austin, I actually worked at a school that was geared towards children with a diagnosis of autism. So it was, that was, you had to have that diagnosis to get into the school. Um, And so I did a lot of sensory things with them, but what I didn't understand and what wrecked me from the Dr. Perry work and, and also, you know, a little bit of Dr. Purvis, but a lot of her information came from him too, um, was the attachment and we, we watched videos on Bobley and we learned about attachment in OT school as part of our psychology stuff. And we have a minor in psychology, so we get psychology. But we, what I didn't understand was how when you have adversity early, it really impacts the brain development. And so a lot of what I was listening to with Dr. Perry was Oh, of course, you know, and he talks about the neurosequential model and how you have to go back and rehab what was missed before you move forward. Well, that's stroke rehab. So as an OT, I was like, oh, doctor, yeah, yeah, Yeah. I got, I've already got synapses that know that stuff, you know, like this is not new. Um, And I, I knew a lot of the stuff that he was teaching. It wasn't new to me, but the the lens of which he looked through it, which I would say was more compassionate because in the rehab setting, it's a lot of meeting your goals and making insurance happy and ticking the boxes and, you know, making the kid do 50,000 squats, making it fun (laughs) if you can, but, you know, we're going to kick this ball ad nauseum until you learn how to kick it in a net and, and really opening up my eyes of if you don't have a relationship to kick that ball, you're really missing out on some really good therapeutic process and understanding as well 
you know, I heard it from Stuart Ablon. I think it actually came from Ross Green or somebody, uh, but the children do well when they can. And so as a pediatric OT, I was always like, well, if they can't, I just need to rehab them. Right. And so I was doing a lot of activity analysis and, and, and just very uh, behavioral based, I guess I would say as well. And now with this more connection and relationship based, I'm really pulling back and saying, oh, like it matters if the kid wants to kick the ball in the, <laughs> into yeah. the yeah. you know, and if I can get a relationship with them first. And, you know, that whole regulate, relate, reason, empower, connect, correct. I need to empower and regulate. And I never really thought of those terms. And I, I probably moved a little bit too fast through that continuum in the past. And so as new OTs are coming out and, you know, one of the things I'm very passionate about is to help them understand that, you know, leaning into Dr. Perry's latest book of, you know, what happened to you, it's so important yeah. And not only for the kid, but to listen to what happened to the caregiver and mm-hmm. to understand the caregiver's capacity and to have a more family-based approach to my work, um, a more compassionate and a more um, like matching the expectations a little bit more. So instead of just looking at my assessments and saying, oh, by the age of 10, he should be able to do X, Y, Z turning around and going, I can't really expect this 10 year old to do this because this 10 year old, this 10 year old has been in therapy when they were supposed to be learning math skills. So Mm. of course the math skills are going to be lagging and I need to go back and and just be more patient with the process. I think. And, and, you know, we, we really talk about what does trauma informed mean, you know, and in the OT community, even we're trying to, you know, kind of fuss that out. And, And a lot of it is really looking at, the sensory system through the lens of um, the safety, the felt safety in the sensory systems. And, you know, does this child feel safe in my care and does the family feel safe in my care? And do I really truly have compassion and um, a little bit more um, patience for, for the journey that they're on and, and the awareness that it's more of a journey than it is a rehab process. Yeah. So as you're starting to learn that and you're starting to put it into practice, did you have any early, like, you know, not light bulb, but like early celebration, like, oh my gosh, look at this. Like, this is happening now. Like, this is really cool. What were some of those early wins like for you when you started integrating all that knowledge into your practice with your clients? Well, I I felt better. I think it wasn't as exhausting for one, you know, and because when you're trying to put those square pegs of pegs in a round holes, like yeah. it's exhausting. <laughs> and, and I just, I feel like the aha moments for me were when the parents would sit on my couch, you know, cause like in the waiting room or whatever. And, mm-hmm. and I could see the parents breath support improve, you know, and like the parents were taking yeah. a breath. Yeah. And, and when the parents took a breath, when I invited them into the space with me, then I had more carryover. And so really my kids are getting better actually faster. Like I talk about it's a journey and it's a process, but I'm actually getting to the finish line faster than I was when it was, okay, mom, you know, you can run over to Target. You've got an hour, you know, and come back and and here's your kid. Um, Now when mom comes back with me or, or, you know, grandma or grandpa or auntie or uncle, you know, whoever's with them, then then the next week I'm like, Oh, they, they've made really, they've actually made big progress because they've been able to, to do these things. And, 
even, I know this sounds so ridiculous and, and self-centered and everything, but for me, last night, I was told by one of my, my clients that their kid was at school and they said, the teacher was like, who's your best friend? And, um, and the little, the guy, you know, he mentioned someone else as well. And then he was like, oh, wait, or is it Miss Marty? <laughs> oh, that's like, awesome. Oh my gosh. Like, like to me, that's just absolutely amazing. You know, like, it's just a, like, oh yes. Like I want to be on their team and obviously I want them to have other friends. I don't want to be anybody's best friend, <laughs> you know, nine, but, but that they, but they're thinking about the things that they did and they're integrating more of the therapy session and little things like a parent tells me, Oh, we finally were able to, you know, put clothes on the other day. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Oh, that's amazing because I would work on clothing things for months yeah. before. And once we really get to the heart of the clothing issue and the relationship behind it, yeah. Um, then yeah, it's just so different. Okay. So for you, how did, how did you get from that moment to then saying, I'm writing a book, dadgummit, I'm going to put this into writing and I'm <laughs> oh, going to, I'm going well, that's to. That's a whole that. other story. <laughs> that could be a whole podcast. <laughs> um, so I didn't want to write that book. That was not my idea. Okay. And actually I remember laying in bed one night and I thought, when I first started reading Dr. Perry's stuff and all that, I was like, mm -hmm. I'm going to write a book on sensory processing because I'm not really thrilled with the ones that are out there. And, you know, people need to know this better. Blah, blah, blah. And, and at that moment, I read Lindsay Beals, Raising a Sensory Smart Child. Mm -hmm. And I was reading that book and I rolled over at my husband who was like half asleep. And I was like, well, there you go. And he was like, what do you mean? I said, I don't need to write a book. <laughs> he goes, why? He <laughs> I said, Lindsay just wrote it. And, um, and he was like, Okay. And then he rolled back over. I rolled over and I didn't think about another, like I've never really wanted okay. to be a writer. And so, um, but, but then Dr. Cross was saying, Hey, we're going to redo this manual. We're going to call it the notebook. Um, we really want your input. And, and I, I do get frustrated when I'm invited to a conference or I'm invited to a thing and they're like, here's your 30 minutes. Talk about the sensory system. <laughs> right. And I'm like, I can't, I <gasps> that's so hard. Right. And, and that's one of my biggest frustrations I've always had with the Institute is I, I want to talk more. And I know we all do. I'm sure if you asked Kim or Sarah or, you know, Scott <laughs> or anybody, you know, Darren, Amanda, we all are like, we need more time. Um, and they're like, it's already a week long. You don't get any more time. And right. so, you know, part of that was I wanted more time to write more things. Cause I was, I was having a hard time knowing how deep, you know, can you go deep in one area that you miss a lot of people or do you go so broad that nobody gets specific? Yeah. And so, you know, I was actually talking with Dr. Cross about it and he said, he recommended, he goes, well, work on the notebook and then the things you don't get to say, write a book about it. And I said, oh, okay. Like, like the connected parent had just come out and he was like, yeah, like the connected parent. And so then he was like, and we'll publish it for you. And, you know, like he was, 
mentioning all these things, which he, oh, yeah. didn't, he didn't understand. How, well, I'm sure he understood how it all went, you know, it's, you know, but somehow the translation got mixed to me. And so I wrote this book with all the things I wanted people to know um, for TBRI. Like I really wrote that for the TBRI audience and the NMT audience as well, because same thing when I travel with Dr. Perry, then it's like, and, sure. and here's Marty for an hour, you know, and then he talks for the rest of the time. And so I thought, well, I could give this out at the lectures for those of these people. And, okay. and it was really funny when I called Dr. Cross I'm like okay it's ready and he's like oh no no we can't do it for you and I was like what like what do you what do I do with this book I'm not a writer like I don't know anything about this and then Cindy Lee was so gracious and she was like oh I'm self-published let me help you work through the and so literally Cindy Lee and I got on a zoom and she was like click that button okay click that box okay now you're set up publish your book so that's kind of where, but I never wanted to be a writer. I never wanted to write that book. Um, that was purely Dr. Cross. And that's why I was, that's why he's in the foreword because that was part of the deal is if I write this book, yeah. you, you have, have to, to do the foreword <laughs> the, <laughs> and you have to give it credibility. So, what do you yeah. feel like, you know, during that process, obviously that writing process is, is intense. And, and what do you feel like were some of your big takeaways? Like, do you have any things that, that stood out to you as you're writing, like that, that, man, I didn't realize I would emphasize so much on this or, or this really stuck out to me. What would you think? Again, I, I am going to struggle to answer that question because I am not a writer and, you know, I am faith-based, you know, I, I do believe in, you know, Jesus and all that. And, yeah. and I, I do feel like God really sat with me in that book. And the interesting thing about it is I wrote that book in two months and I literally sat down and just wrote it because it was, and my husband kind of gave me the idea of just write it like you're giving a lecture and that, that fit because that was what I wanted. I wanted more time as a lecture and that's what Dr. Cross told me to do. And so I sat down and was like, okay, if I would basically narrate my slides Mm -hmm. and the things that I teach people And it was also, it was kind of a way for me, you know, we had just brought my niece into the home and I knew that if I was going to teach about TBRI, I needed to live TBRI and that needed to come into my house at that time. And so I knew I wasn't going to have a lot of time for travel. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to write this book and retire. And so this is really going to be like, Dr. Cross can now give this out at the meetings and then I won't need to work anymore was my thought behind it. And, um, so literally I sat down for two months and then God introduced me. I I feel like it was a God thing. Uh, I started, uh, another thing I wanted to do is equip more OTs in the trauma world. And so I connected with a woman, another occupational therapist named Annie Chase, and she Mm -hmm. runs the trauma informed OT Facebook group. And then she wanted to launch the Alliance of trauma responsive OTs. And so I joined that as one of the founding you know, people for that. And, and in that group, I met Holly Timberline and Holly is a editor and an OT. And so she's a trauma focused OT who loves to edit books. And so by meeting her, I was like, Holly, make this book good. And she did. If I showed you my manuscript before Holly and after Holly, you would barely recognize it, you know, because she would take it and she just made my words 
she made them good, you know? And so really when you asked me what was hard about it, it wasn't hard. Like I just wrote it as a stream of conscience. I gave it to Holly, Holly edited it. It it sounds amazing. I talked to Cindy Lee. She got it published for me, essentially, you know, like walked me through that process. So really it was just a collaboration of a lot of people coming together to make that book happen. And that's, what's so cool about it. Right. And, And it really, it was, it was a book that was written from my heart of, I wish I knew this as a parent. And so I want parents to know this with a side of focus on the sensory systems. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. That's, that's really awesome. Um, I'd love to, to kind of, I guess, shift gears, but kind of stay in the same thread when it, when it comes to, you, you've mentioned several times just discoveries you made as a parent, or if I'm going to teach TBRI and to live TBRI, um, was that transition, how, how difficult was that for you? And, and did that, inform your work and change your work at all as you began parenting that way? Oh, oh yes. (laughs) Let's just say I am a classic dismissive avoidant. (laughs) (laughs) Even if a kid in my room was crying, I was like, ah, you're fine. (laughs) Put some pressure on it. Move on. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't even compassionate in the therapy room, I don't think. Um, And I, I wish I could go back and talk to some of my younger clients yeah, and be like, sure. buddy, I'm so, you just needed a minute. Yeah. <laughs> you needed a minute. And I just threw you right back on that swing and I'm so sorry, you know? And so, and then as a parent, especially with a parent with a kid, you know, who I just saw as a straight up sensory lens and I didn't understand that I needed to attach with her. So a lot of my early parenting strategies were here, sit in this lycra bag, here, get on this swing. And I was doing sensory stuff, but there was very little connection with them. And so, um, you know, that was, that was what I learned with that. And I do remember there was a moment when my husband, um, with, with my niece who was living with us and something happened. Right. And, and I became really quite explosive, you know, and he kind of looked at me and he goes, is this a TBRI moment? (laughs) Something like that. And of course that made me even more mad because I was like, those who can't do teach. Okay. Like I can't do. (laughs) I mean, I think everybody in the car right now is like, it's like, yes, 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 yes. Tell us more of those. Like we've all had that. Like, yeah. Oh, for sure. As few days, right. Like, yes. And I remember, um, you know, but it did give me pause and I was like, And he was like, what would you tell a TBRI person to do in this situation? <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm going to give you some choice words first. <laughs> and then I will come back to my cortex and give you some other ideas. Um, but one of the things that really resonated with me, and I'm like, should I even share this story? Because it's not really like OT based, but, um, you know, phones are a big deal in our house. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to make sure that, you know, phones stay in the living room. Like that's just our family rule we've always had. And right. I had young kids in the house too. And so we wanted to set an example with my niece who was a teenager. And yeah. so, you know, but she kept taking her phone into her room. Mm-hmm. And of course I was like, you are not following the family rules. And, you know, this is an easy one for you to follow. Like you, all you need to do is plug it in out here. Like just plug your phone in. And so we were having this big conversation and my husband turned around and he was like, but if you think about it through the TBRI lens, this is her only connection to her past and the only connection she has to the family 
that is out of state, you know, that are the friends that are out of state that we've literally ripped her away from. And yeah. so I, I took that to heart and I said, okay, so you're using this as protection. Like this is safety for you. Your phone is safety. Mm-hmm. And I did look at the text. There was nothing going on. There was no inappropriate things. You know, that was, that was a non-negotiable as well. Like I always have access to your phone. Um, and she wasn't using it inappropriately, you know, but she was texting late at night to, connect with these people. And so when we realized that I I just sat down and had a conversation. I said, okay, I, I'm seeing your phone as a connection and I'm seeing as you're using it to tie yourself to a past life that you're trying to move forward from. But I also understand you can't move quickly. And if this is helping you you know, stabilize while you're here, we're going to allow you to have your phone in your room. Like we're going to give permission for that. And just when you're ready and you don't need this as a crutch, we would appreciate it if you put it, the phone in the living room. And it was two nights, two nights later, that phone was in the living room. And so that's probably one of my most powerful TBRI stories of leaning into this goes against everything. My thought of parenting, you know, you know, like, oh my gosh, I'm giving her her phone. Like, but yeah, and and it it it, it it's been beautiful. And we we you know, I just like you said, I just came back. She just had a baby, and I got to go see the baby today. And and that's I'm on cloud nine. He's he's adorable, and she's doing great. And like TBRI worked for her, so yeah. yeah. I I think about that story in particular, and they're so um, so entwined in parenting is this pride. And, um, and I'm using expectation, expectation, like what we should, how we should do things or don't let them push you around. Don't let them, and I think especially if you, if you grow up in any kind of, um, any kind of home where you're tethered to the church, there's, there's expectations that come with that as well. And how you're taught in that particular church to parent bears out too. And so there's all these thoughts of making sure you draw strong lines and hard lines and, yeah. you know, you're, you're not letting them push you around and don't let them think they can just, you know, weasel their way out of all this stuff. And in reality, when you, when, when like what you're talking about, and this is a huge light bulb for us, when we can see what's actually happening in the brain and what's yeah. actually like, like seeing the needs behind these different behaviors, when you meet those needs, the actual compliance of the of this very small behavioral thing you're trying to address is almost a non-issue, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think about that in the same that, you know, we, we've had different um uh experiences with OT with, with some of our kids. And just the I, I will never forget one of our OTs here, you met her, Luz, who is yeah, uh, yeah. is actually uh in Columbia right now teaching TBRI. Um yeah. is she is amazing, amazing, amazing. But one of the things that she did is with, with our kids who were not in service at the time, she took them to the side and just taught them like, Hey, when, when, um, when you, I'm trying not to share too much. So basically like, here is how this seems to your sibling when, you know, this happened, this is, this is where some of these explosions might be coming from. And it was within a week that you would see them as, small, I mean, relatively small kids correcting themselves and, and all of a sudden giving massive amounts of grace when there are, you know, outbursts happening or something's being thrown at them or whatever. And, and it, it was a very short period of time before they were all, they, they just needed small prompts and reminders to be able to then help support their sibling in this. And, um, and I think that that, 
that bigger picture is kind of what you're talking about tapping into early with, with Dr. Perry's work and then even now. Um, and I wonder if, if there's something that you would like for parents to know, like with, with all that you're learning and hearing from other OTs around the country or even around the world, I guess, um, are there some themes that you see that you wish parents kind of had, um, you know, real simple, you know, pieces of advice or frameworks as they're parenting? Yeah, well, and I'll, I'll start out with, you know, a lot of the literature on the limbic system and the insular cortex and, you know, all these structures is really pretty new. And so to be learning about brain science and, and even the fMRI, which is where we get the functional magnetic resonance and imaging or whatever, like to be able to like put your brain while you're awake and scan it and understand what structures are lighting up, right? That's within the last 10 to 20 years. So yeah. this science that we're learning about is so new that it's exploding and that's really exciting. And so I've been an OT since the 90s. So a lot of this has happened in my career. And yeah. I went from at the beginning of my career, nobody even knew what sensory processing was. Yeah. So when you're talking about what have been the aha and what wishing people knew and stuff, you know, 20 years ago, I would say, I wish I could tell people that your child isn't crazy. They're yeah, not intentional, like sounds literally disrupt their nervous system this food their oral motor skills are not advanced enough it's not about offering healthy nutritious meals they're not denying your love they physically can't do this you know and so i wished you know like that compassion but i feel like now that we're getting more brain-based People are aware of sensory processing. They're aware of the diagnosis of autism. Like all of that was new when I graduated. And so for me, it's this appreciation for you're doing a podcast where I get to come on and be like, hey, most of your people already know about sensory processing yeah. disorders and challenges. And they understand that the tactile sense is a safety sense. And so they understand when their child doesn't wear certain clothes or they don't take baths or, you know, then they're like, oh, it might be a tactile issue. And they know to seek us out <laughs> as yeah, the occupational yeah. therapist to actually help you with that. And okay. so for me, it, it's a, an appreciation that we've come so far in the last even five to 10 years. And I'm so excited with where we're going to go as well, because now that we know these structures, we're learning about something called interoception, which is how you feel internally that affects your external expression of your emotions. And so again, interoception was never mentioned when I was in school and now we've got whole curriculums on it. And yeah. so I'm just so excited. And I encourage your listeners that if your child is doing something that you're like, that seems odd. <laughs> you know, like, I wonder why they do that. You know, a, a Google search now will, will lead you down those paths into sensory processing. Uh, mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful for that because it really is, if, if, if there's one soapbox is this kid is not doing this to be offensive to you personally. It is not personal. And that's the biggest thing I try and tell people is never personal. And, and I read a, a thing one time that talked about, it is harder to be them right now and experience it from their perspective than it is to be with them. Mm. And so just really, when a kid is really hard to be with, step back and be like, wow, if they're hard to be with, how hard is it within them to be within them? Oh, that is a good reminder. Golly. <laughs> um, yeah. I, so along, I guess, kind of along these last lines uh, or along the lines what you just said, as we sort of kind of head, head for home here in this conversation, uh, one of the things that I have 
kind of heard of you talking about some at different times and that we've been able to have as, as clients of Memphis Family Connection Center and having incredible OTs here is this idea of, of kind of debunking the, the need for ultra expensive sensory equipment oh, yeah. to work with yeah. your kids um, in the house. And so we don't obviously have time to go through, you know, every specific need that exists out there, but of some of the most common things that you're um, giving advice to parents to use or to, or to hold, or there's some things that are being gouged in the market right now. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any, any, um, any uh, kind of, I guess, guides for a few of those simple things, like instead of, you know, doing this, you can actually try this instead. Yeah. Oh gosh. I have a whole, book of those things. Like <laughs> so many things. Well, anyone that follows my work knows that I love lycra and lycra is my favorite thing. And so just even a sheet of lycra to wrap around yourself, you know, and, and get that deep pressure. Cause yeah. really the proprioceptive sense is that calming sense. It's kind of that, that relationally, um, we get the deep touch through that. We get the compression through that. Like that's that's kind of our, our connecting sense is that proprioceptive sense. So just a sheet of Lycra or, you know, a sheet of sweatshirt material or something that you can just kind of wrap around yourself um, could be really beneficial. I also use a lot of vibration and a vibrating toothbrush is typically yeah. inexpensive and especially a kid that is very um, has a lot of mouthing and things like that and, and looking for things in their mouth um, you know bubble gum obviously is so easy and accessible a cold drink with a straw is easy and accessible um, I even I think one of my most creative and fun that a lot of your listeners won't use but the two that will they're going to thank me and they'll write in and be like that was amazing yeah. um, I cover a mattress with a satin sheet and sail it down the stairs um, and that was like one of the best things I ever did. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't have a slide in your house, you know, you can, you know, or cardboard and, and things like that. But we did, we, we just had a big mattress and we put satin sheets on it and we'd set it at the top and the kids just hang on like monkeys, you know, like, like they, hold oh, on, like so in the bobly, you know, yeah. where they hang on real tight uh, to like the, the fur, which would be <laughs> the, the sheet. Then they just sail down. Um, and then they, you know, slam into the wall. They get all that good crash and bump. Um, but for those that don't want to do that, <laughs> I would say, <laughs> um, have a good variety of, um, things that are sour and sweet. And the mouth is one of the most regulatory places we can go easily. And the mouth is often nurture as well. And freezing things can change the texture and the taste. It actually can taste the, change the taste because, um, you know, you don't have the, the sense of smell if nothing evaporates off yeah. of it. So, you know, freezing things is a real easy way to go as well. And, and just don't underestimate the power of a walk outside. And just, you know, if you're walking outside, change the direction of your walk, take your shoes off, um, add shoes on, you know, walk, walk in flip flops or, or, you know, walk in snow boots in the middle of the summer, you know, change up the things that you already have in the home um, for that. Yeah. Okay. God, those are such good suggestions. All right. I'm going to try to uh, make notes of those to put them in the show notes for you guys. If you are um, listening and like, I know what you say. Um, that's awesome. Marty, I hope you do know that if you've come on once, you now are obligated to come on with us a bunch of times in the future. And so. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd be happy to go deeper into the senses and, you know, talk about the last half of the book, if you want, that does talk about like, how do we 
interact with these senses. And, and then we could go sense by sense and I could give you those kinds of things in more depth. Cause see, once again, I need more time, JD. I know. I know. <laughs> I, I can't believe in 37 minutes, you haven't gotten all that you wanted to say out. That's great. Right. I know. So I just wrote a book. You want to know more? Read the book. Well, I think, yeah, I, I think we, I've, I've got some schemes that I will not disclose to everyone listening right now, but um, I, yes, we would love that. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And yeah, we didn't really talk a whole lot about what I expected we would, but it was a good conversation. <laughs> it was fun. Awesome. Well, first of many, right? Yes. Thank you so much. Yeah. Okay. So along those lines, Marty, what, if people are starting out work and, you know, we've talked on the show a thousand times about, um, if you are thinking services, just reach out. Like, and it's easier said than done, obviously. So for people who are, are beginning that search for an OT and they're wanting to find someone who's trauma focused, how in the world do they differentiate between people who are general practicing OTs and are, are trauma aware, trauma informed, you know, practicing OTs? Yeah. The, the, one of the biggest things I would say is how is the parent, uh, how is the interaction with the parent And if someone is going to be more trauma-focused and trauma-informed and trauma-compassionate, they're going to include the parent more in the caregiving. When they make the goals, they're going to ask the parent, are these goals appropriate? They're going to say, does this feel right to you? Uh, Someone that is trauma-focused is going to recognize that the parent really does know the child very well. There's, There's going to be less ownership of the therapist uh, in the clinic, when you're not trauma focused, there's a lot of the therapist knows what to do. They're going to do their thing, and you don't have a lot of input. So yeah, drop off and let the pros do their work, kind of thing. Yeah, step back, let the pros do their work. Whereas if you're trauma based, you recognize there's probably attachment issues. And and I, as much as I love that, you know, my clients think I'm their best friend, I also <laughs> recognize that it is way more important for me that they attach to the caregiver. And yeah. so I'm working really hard with that. I often let the parent come back into the session with me. Uh, And that's something to ask, can I watch the sessions or can I be a part of it? Now, there are times when the child does best when the caregiver is not there, but it's in the interest of the child. Or, you know, there are HIPAA rules where we can't always let you in the gym when there's other children. But as much as we can, are, are we limiting your interactions because of other reasons, like valid reasons, or, you know, is that just our policy? And so, you know, as much as we can, I try and get the parent back with me. Um, and I think that that's important if you're trauma aware and just ask, like, you know, are you a trauma focused therapist? Is there, um, any, uh, have you had any trainings or anything? Cause there are, there's really no certification right now. We're, we're kind of talking about it in the OT community and we're talking yeah. about those things, but there's no real label or certification, but you can ask what kind of continuing education do you take? And if they're taking a lot of, you know, orthopedic neuro <laughs> continuing education, <laughs> they may not be the best fit for you. And, and just asking them, you know, what is your comfort level working with a child, you know, who presents like mine? or whatever. And, and, you know, see if they're open to even, I think if you're trauma informed, a lot of us value the information from the caregiver. So having a 20 minute consultation ahead of time, those of us that understand trauma are going to be pretty likely to say, yeah, that's important because I need to know where the child came oh, from. That's good. Yeah. And I need to know what happened to them in order to help them heal from that, you know, and those standardized evaluations are never going to give you enough, you know, space to write in the things that you need to tell us. So those are my things, you know, what's the communication like, what's my involvement. And then, you know, am I involved with the goals as well? 
Well, huge thank you for Marty uh, for joining us and, uh, and just great stuff from her. Somebody that we will for sure be having on again um, and again and again. And so um, you need to, if you have not yet, go buy her book, The Connected Therapist. You can do so on Amazon um, and I'm sure lots of other places as well, but uh, do buy her book. She is awesome and somebody who's worth reading, especially if you have kiddos that struggle um, with sensory um, struggles at all. She is somebody who is um, a brilliant thinker on the topic. And so um, thank you to her. We are going to have tons, tons, tons of stuff this year um, for you on the ETC podcast. Um, We've got an incredible lineup of all kinds of things. Things, um, including some more series. We've got a bunch of different interviews with other new professionals and some that you have heard of before. Um, and uh, we will again, of course, be going through our connecting practices um, and talking about all of that here in 2023. So we hope that you and yours had a happy new year um, celebration the other night. We are hopeful that you will have a happy new year this year all together. And thank you for listening to the Empower to Connect podcast. Uh, for everybody here at ETC, for Kyle Wright, who edits and engineers all of our audio, for Tad Jewett, the creator of the music behind the Empower to Connect podcast, I'm J.D. Wilson, and we will see you next week on the Empower to Connect podcast.